Welcome to the PharmaSource podcast. Today's episode is a conversation with Rene Weinman, Chief Procurement Officer at Christian Hansen and self-confessed procurement geek. Rene shares some fascinating insights into how his focus on data-driven procurement and supplier indexing are successfully driving real cost savings. He lifts the lid on how these insights are being used right across the business and talks about the talent gap for the digital savvy procurement talent of the future. Rene, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really nice to have you here. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. If we could start off then talking about your career to date, because you've got lots of great experience within life sciences in, in procurement. So you're currently CPO at Christian Hansen. And prior to that, you were at Novozymes, where you were leading procurement excellence and digitization. And before that, companies like Novo Nordisk, Schneider Electric and Carlsberg. So lots of really good experience to get into there. I wonder if you could give us a quick overview of some of your highlights on your journey so far, please. Yeah, sure. I can definitely do that. Uh, as I do call myself a procurement uh, nerd or geek, definitely because it has been, you can say, a major part of, of my career until now. And as you mentioned, some of the companies that I've been in uh, has always been around the supply chain uh, procurement world. Mm-hmm. And I think... Uh, I've been in many different industries, so I kind of started in, in packaging industry uh, and, and worked there as, as, a, as a buyer. Then I moved into to the IT industry at IBM, where, where I also worked uh, quite, I think, six years. Um, moved to, to Novo Nordisk. Uh, that was the first time I actually touched the, the pharma industry mm. as such. I was not that for that long. Uh, then I moved into to Schneider Electric, which was more in energy management and industrial automation. So again, a totally different uh, type of, of industry. Um, then I moved to, to Carlsberg again, then at another one, uh, FMCT, uh, brewing, uh, beverage, uh, and also learned a lot there. Then I moved uh, back to, you can say, a little bit uh, biotech, uh, so related again to the pharma uh, element uh, in Nova yeah. And now I'm sitting here in Kelton also a biotech company, uh, and been here for two and a half years for a CPO. So, so many different industries, and, and you can say high margin industries, low margin industries. Uh, so definitely a lot of, uh, of differences, but of course also similarities uh, being there. So the focus mm. has, has been, you can say, more or less, uh, of course, always concerned about delivering savings of value, but, but some has, of course, had more focus on, on certain elements than others. Um, quality as such, for example, very very high on the agenda when it comes to, to the whole farm and also biotech. Price has definitely been an, an area that was much more focused also in my Carlsberg time at mm. a more low margin uh, part, right? The same with, with Schneider Electric at that time. Packaging at that time also very quality uh, focused. And the last couple of, of companies has been also very much secure supply. And of course, especially the last uh, three years with all the, you can say, uncertainty and, and VUCA world that, that we're living in. So um, a lot of different uh, industries with, with very interesting, you can say, different views also on, on sourcing and procurement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, would you say then that traditionally that pharma has been less focused on price than FMCG and sort of had to favor quality and other metrics instead? I would I would definitely see that there is a, a, a significant difference of, of working in, in a company with, you can say, a margin of uh, double digits, 20 plus. 
and then being in in a low business uh, where you sometimes are down on on two to three percent mm. uh, in some of the tough years. Of course, it does a difference, and and you can for sure say that that price has not had the same. You can say focus in in the pharma and, and biotech industry, at least historically. I would say. Uh, with this hyperinflation that we're seeing the, the last couple of, of years, of course, that has also been part line in line with, with secure and supply. Uh, but, but it is different. Um, I think in general also, the, you can say the atmosphere of being in, in, in the whole life science, biotech, is also different uh, when it comes to actually working together with, with internal stakeholders of, of how they perceive um, the procurement organization. In what way? I think uh, when it comes to to the life science or, or biotech or pharma, as, as we talked about, I think they are. It's a more academic uh, scientist environment that you're in. There's uh, a lot of opinions, a lot of questions, and a lot of uh, why mm. compared to to some of the industries that I've been where, where it can be more. You can say accepted that when when procurement comes, that's that's how it is. I think we are being challenged more on the reasoning for why we're doing stuff. Uh, and also because I think it, it's more, you can say, different depending on in which area you are within, for example, a company within a pharma on, on what actually is the important part for that specific function when it comes to sourcing. Some are looking for secure supply, some are looking for quality, some are looking mm -hmm. for innovation, uh, some are looking for for time, as, a, as an example. I think. So a lot of the door opening, especially when it comes to research and development, that's not savings for sure, not. But if you can release time for a scientist or a lab or a lab assistant to do more work on, 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 on what they really burn for, and that is not procuring stuff, then that is what open doors and not that you can do it 5% cheaper. So a real network there of different stakeholders, decision makers. How have you found navigating that if you're trying to change suppliers for example how do you take people along that journey with you in the most effective way given how complicated it is yeah i think again what is really important for me is that that's what i've been calling collaborative sourcing meaning that the old ways of of, of doing it in silos and doing it independently are in, in a sourcing environment that, that we know best doesn't work especially mm. not in in this industry so, so we need need to involve people and have them actually on board and also take them in uh, and actually do it together with them and not you know uh, doing it by ourselves. Meaning that they know what they want, they know the specs. They are in many cases the experts when it comes to the product or the service, but we are the experts when it comes to actually acquiring it and negotiating it, ensuring that we take care of of risk elements and and all mm -hmm. these elements that they are not really either interested in or, or also don't have the capabilities to do. Absolutely. You mentioned just now cost inflation and the VUCA world that we're in. Yeah. As you're thinking about going into 2024, I wonder what strategies you're putting into place to help you deal with the current economic environment. Yeah, uh, and that's a very good question. And, and I think everyone is looking for, for a solution and answers to that. I think what, what, what we have been doing the most is, is actually to, to try to use, you can say, the insights that is available um, much more than we have been doing in the past. So, so what I've actually did when I started also in, in Kristen Hansen two and a half years ago was actually to, 
to start building a new team uh, called Sourcing Insights, uh, okay. and where they're actually working with a lot of analytics and trying actually to help our category managers to, to you can say, use data to drive and support decision-making uh, much more than, than in the past. They're also helping, you know, doing negotiation preparation packages so, so that the category managers can really follow what is actually happening. We, we have built a tool called Price Watch, where we're actually looking into how different commodities and pricing developing over time and also be able to forecast, but also building, you can say, different cost modeling to actually be able to follow follow the cost um, of these specific products or services. So the whole, you know, cost breakdown analysis, shoot cost analysis, mm. taking that really uh, to, to the next step uh, and using that. And, and also we have indexation used in a lot of our contracts and ensuring again that that that, that actually works as that it's supposed to be. And especially now when some of the commodities are falling again to ensure that we actually bring down, you can say the, the cost levels again. Um, and, and that is definitely something that we are doing much more of. We're also using much more external data sources to support mm. that and building that into our into our cost models. That's one big element. That's the whole analytics part. Another thing that we're also trying to, to use is using our digital uh, toolkit much more, meaning our e-sourcing solutions. Uh, again, utilization. And I don't think it's in, only in, in, in our company, but in other companies where utilization is not as high as it could be. It's not traditionally used by, by everyone. So we're also pushing much more tendering uh, and negotiation into that e-sourcing solution that we have. Mm. And an interesting maybe insights that the people maybe not be aware of, but, but just bringing it into to these kinds of e-sourcing solutions actually deliver a higher output simplify that you need to work a bit more structured uh, in it. And, and I have a good colleague that actually did an analysis on that and actually can show that offline tendering versus online tendering, actually you get a 27% better output, which yields up to a 2% higher savings by simply running it through in a digital solution. And then if you top that with e-auctions, that again mm -hmm. has been ex you can see existing for many, many, many years, but not necessarily are used that much by, by a lot of different companies. Again, we are also utilizing that much more than, than in the past and, and can see that it also helped either bringing costs down or at least avoiding these uh, high cost inflations that, that we have been seeing. Those are really interesting metrics. Two to three percent savings, I think you said, from, from, yeah. from e-sourcing. What do you put that down to? you are somehow forced to do better preparation work before going into negotiations. I mean, you need to, to structure the bit. You need to look at it and analyze it more than sometimes you do, again, in a busy world where, you you know, you might actually jump over a little bit and saying, ah, you know, I do it, you know, based upon my experience and, and, uh, and how I've used to do it in the old days. Yep. Here you need to analyze more and, and prepare more for going into these, uh, these you could say, events compared to uh, to a traditional way of doing life. With this tool that you've built yourself, PriceWatch, does that also inform that process? That's the same. It's a very, very supportive tool of, of where they can also go in and actually see how the development is, how is the market developing, and how have our cost been developing, and actually seeing yeah. if there's a correlation there, and if there's a you can say we can see that there's not really a, a clear correlation or if 
either goes in one or the other direction and figure out what why, what has happened and what can we actually do to fix it. Mm. Uh, of course, we're not necessarily inter- interested in beating the market, but we definitely want to follow the market. Um, so, so that is also a great tool for, for them to actually be able to help them going into negotiations. That's really interesting. So how are you using that outside of the procurement function? Because obviously the cost control within your team is is yeah. one thing. How does that then get relayed to the business heads, commercial sales, for example? Does it help to inform their pricing? Yeah, I would say that's also a, an area that has really developed, especially under, under the last uh, two to three years. I mean, our cooperation with, with our commercial sales guys and, and sales excellence team and actually help the member also explaining what is actually going on when it comes to the commodities in the market, because of course they're also getting pushed from from, from their customers on mm. what is happening uh, in the energy uh, price development or whatever it could be, or carbohydrates or, or whatever we're seeing. With. So we're working much closer with, with, with our commercial sales guys to also explain the development on, on how we're actually seeing it and how it's developing, because again, depending on what kind of hedging strategies we have or, or other indexations, then we might not necessarily be hit by the market, you can say, um, directly. There might be a phasing off that we actually might be hit later, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how the market looks. For example, energy, where we are having a, a, a hedging strategy, that means that it's not necessarily hitting us the day that, that the market go, go crazy, right? Very interesting. How are you thinking about sustainability at the moment in terms of 2024? I mean, as a business, presumably you've signed up to various sustainability yeah. targets. Definitely. So I would say one big other area that, that is really, really uh, essential for us is, of course, uh, ESG and sustainability. Mm. And we have also signed up for scientific-based targets. Uh, so we need to deliver on, on, on scope one, two, and three. And tree that I'm responsible for and where we need to reduce that by by 20% by 2030. 20% might not seem a lot, but it is a special loss because it's an absolute number, meaning that as a growth company growing 8 9% per year, it actually will be meaning that we actually need to reduce our scope tree by 62% if we are okay. continue growing as we are. So it's a huge challenge. So, so the whole sustainability has been a really, really important part for me to, to set more focus on. And I think there's also some, you can say, help in working on sustainability, because in some cases we're also looking into, you know, how can we avoid, you can say, uh, overspecking stuff or using less of. So, of course, it also impacts positively on, on the spend agenda, but, but overall... Yeah. What I'm trying to do is actually integrate sustainability into our procurement. Uh, and um, I hate quoting myself, but uh, but I will do so. And um, what my sustainability program manager always refers to is that I'm saying that sustainability needs to become part of our natural sourcing DNA. And, and what I mean with that is that everything we do, we need to have integrated sustainability into it. When it comes to category strategies, of course, there mm-hmm. needs to be sustainability into it and how we drive decarbonization as one example, but also the broader ESG agenda. In our, you can say, toolkits when it comes to e-sourcing, contracts, supply performance evaluation, all of that has built in now sustainability uh, into that. So, so it's really part of getting it into a day-to-day. I don't see sustainability as a 
separate function or separate discipline. It needs yep. to be part of a category manager's day-to-day -day work because that's how it's going to be in the future. Every RFP, every every tender, yep. that would be built in. That's where we, we, we are building more and more into it, right? We also we have built different elements into our whole sustainability agenda. The first thing is our engagement model with suppliers. So again, we, we have segmented uh, suppliers also depending on the analysis that we are doing, doing for example, for, for when it comes to the whole uh, emission part. So we, mm -hmm. we have actually co-developed a, a, a module where we can actually see the, the CO2 emission our, on our, from our suppliers, from their product services. So we can do hotspot analysis and find where is it that we really need to do uh, something different than, than we are today to deliver on, on, for example, the scope tree reduction. So, so that we have developed with our IT provider, with our spend queue. Because again, as if, we can't, if we can't measure it, then we can sure also not manage it. So, so that's one element. And we also, as you said, and, and asked into, we are bringing it into all elements. So in tenders, yeah. supply evaluations, we're also doing, you can say, um, you can do shadow pricing of CO2 taxation into our TCO models when we are selecting suppliers. We'll try to calculate in what does that actually mean when it comes to CO2 emissions. Mm. When it comes to, to contracts, we're also building sustainability clauses in. We are trying to, to find kind of bonus incentive clauses where, again, if they can come up, we'll reduce, for example, CO2 emissions on, on their services or products. Or equipment, then it, there's an incentive bonus in, in some of our contracts. So tying financial incentives to to their carbon reduction to simply help us delivering on that, and that's very much on on, on carbon emission. Um, mm. We're also trying to to look much more into the whole ESG, you can say, uh, area, and also trying to do supplier performance and evaluation on that. And then we're also trying to be very data driven uh, compared to uh, to others. So, so we again have co-developed might be uh, over exaggerating it, but we have actually been working with, with a small startup company that are taking another approach to the whole ESG uh, agenda. So mm -hmm. they're actually um, going out and actually finding all available data on a supplier. So they're using, I think it's now 650 different data sources, mm. including suppliers' own um, homepages. And then they're web scraping that and then they're actually dragging all that data into to a platform where we can actually see a, a scoring of our suppliers and also different scoring cards. And then we actually have something that we can discuss and, and share with our suppliers. And the interesting part is that we don't need to ask for a lot of information because most of it will be available. Then we will only ask for missing information compared to if you go into some of the other platforms where you're asking a lot of questions Mm -hmm. which might already be available. So let's say there are ISO certifications. That's very often already on, their, on their, their website. So we actually just web scrape it and have it available, and we can even look it up and see if it's expired or something. Mm -hmm. So again, trying to use modern, you can say, technology, AI, to, to do some of the more, you can say, uh, heavy and time-consuming activities. So we, we will rather use our time to talk about sustainability than collecting data. Absolutely. And so with that, what does your current system architecture look like? Do you aim to have one single source of truth for all of your supplier data? We are trying. I mean, we are working with different solutions that 
will talk to each other. I, I mean, mm. in general, I believe of best of breed versus you can say one big full suite. Um, also because I think we need to find the solutions that that matches our capabilities and competences and where we are right now. Mm. Um, so so right now we're using different solutions depending on, on what we're looking into. So for example, ESD, that is one provider, uh, a company called Responsibly, where we are doing this, you can say, gathering of all these data. Then we will later bring it in also to internal supply performance uh, data and actually bring that into one solution and that we're looking at right now. But right now we're handling it uh, in different systems. When it comes to ESG, how do you balance that against the also the pressure to reduce costs? So if you say you've got this 62% real terms target to reduce your uh, sustainability impact by, at the same time as you're trying to reduce costs, at least you've got the data, I guess, to have those conversations. It's a very good question. And, and I think it, that's not an easy answer. Of course, in some cases, you, you can buy yourself to less emission, uh, but, but everything comes with a cost or mm-hmm. at least some of it. Uh, but it's not all of it. I mean, one good example where where we are getting a win-win is that, unfortunately, we have uh, been flying quite a lot of our products because we have a cold chain where we, we need to have it at, at minus 55 degrees. Um, but we're actually moving that to, 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 you can say, other kind of modes, meaning that we are, for example, now using uh, C, uh, as a mode instead, then you're using some uh, super freezers where we actually have it. And of course, in that perspective, it's a huge improvement on CO2. And in this case, it's also a huge improvement cost-wise because sailing is significantly cheaper than flying it. So, so again, sometimes it actually works out as a win-win. There's also others where there is a, at least a short-term initial investment. It could be we have, for example, buying different ga- gases where, again, we can get green gas, which is based upon renewable energy, that's also black gas. There we need sometimes to take the hard decision saying we need to go down that, that line. It might have an incremental cost mm-hmm. in the short term, but we might do that. We might also wait a bit and then activate it later, but then we know that it's ready. And and in some cases, it depending on product, service, or industry, some are moving faster than others. Uh, but having the whole overview on of how much we can do and where we can do it. But I think I'm sometimes referring back to the whole quality management journey that I also did uh, in my IBM time, where we actually more or less were out educating the, the printing industry on if you can reduce waste, you can actually, you can say, help out uh, improving your own earnings and margin, and we can also get a better product, better quality but also at a cheaper price. And I think, again, looking into to the ESG and especially on scope three, it's the same. We also, as I said, using shadow pricing for CO2 mm-hmm. uh, taxation and saying that we add a number of, of uh, euros per, per ton of CO2 and use that when we actually do our supplier selection. Mm, that's a good way to communicate, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it, it helps drive the right discussions also yep. going forward by right? saying again also to suppliers it will actually help you if you actually improve here um, but I think one element for us is that that it's the dialogue that is important we are not coming and, and threatening and, and 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 you can say putting targets as such we would rather have the dialogue with them and actually feel if they are actually on the same journey of us and then that would also lead to to finding the right strategic partners in, in some of these 
areas where, where we really need a partnership to be able to succeed. Collaborative sourcing. Yeah, exactly. When you describe your approach, René, a lot of what you talk about is using technology as an enabler. Yeah. More so, actually, than many other people I speak to across procurement. I wonder what your thoughts are on how procurement can get better with technology. When you walk into a a new team, a new function, I mean, how do you try to understand their level of digital maturity, how well they're using the tools available? How do you tend to tackle that? Yeah, that's also a, a, an interesting uh, interesting area. I think, as you're right, I mean, I am I am trying to utilize technology uh, as much as I can because I think overall the complexity of working with procurement is not getting less, it's getting more. Mm. You can say the whole VUCA world, uh, uncertainty, but, but also you can say the ESG agenda and regulatory requirements that, that are coming in. And I don't think we will be able to hire in more resources to be able to to tackle that so we need to be smart and and one way of doing it is of course also automizing digitalizing and using you can say technology to help us uh, so mm-hmm. we can focus in on, on the more value creating activities and i think that that's one of the challenges of course is also to to um, to get people on that journey with us and and i think also if you look back and i've also seen that there's a lot of you can say a lot of systems out there that are underutilized where they don't really use them as they're supposed to so so that's another element that we're looking into how can we ensure that we actually get the right return on investment on the investment that we do in technology uh, and that we we are definitely also trying to to uh, to help on that and i think there's several reasons um i mean past poor user experience on, on uxs on difficult to use system not intuitive and of course, we're trying to, to change them to more intuitive, easygoing solutions, which is also being developed, but it's also due to lack of digital uh, capabilities and competences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thirdly, probably also a little bit back to the, the whole chicken and the egg, you know, too busy to, to use them because I'm too busy. And there's a learning curve sometimes, even though it's intuitive to use. So what we're really looking into is trying to see what can we actually do to ensure that we actually use the system that we select. So, so we are doing a lot of training, 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 but we are doing it again, what I normally describe as a, as a sprint, meaning that we do training, but we would like to combine it so that it becomes a day-to-day, you can say more or less during the training or the day after, meaning that you need to get experience in it and you need to embrace it and not you know, go back and then suddenly you need to use it a month later, then it then it's gone. So so we have been trying and, and looking into how can we actually get one example is our spend queue was also not utilized enough. Mm-hmm. Um so we were also looking at how are we on payment terms on the whole thing. So we were also looking into running, you could say projects, should we run a cash rate and what can we actually do of improvements? Then we are doing that while we are actually learning you can say to use the system um, at the same time. And and that seems to help because then it actually becomes part of the day-to-day work of using the systems. Is it important that everyone's doing it at the same time yeah. in the same room, for example? Yeah, so, so so I think we are trying to gather people and say, okay, let's work on it now. And that might be half a day or a day of, mm. you can say, workshop where you actually get your hands dirty and actually start uh, working on the same with responsibly we talked about our ESG module where 
we are also reaching out to suppliers, then we'll do it sitting together, having a bit of fun, and then actually do it and kicking it off. And then afterwards, they go home and continue with it. And that seems to work better than, than having training that I might need, you know, the system and I might need it in a month or two. The same with e-auctions, when, when we needed to restart that again, find an e-auction uh, candidate and then we'll do that one. And we'll have some learning in it. It might not be the perfect one, but we need to have you out there trying it out so that you actually get it into your toolkit. And by doing that, are you able to then see the, the usage level of tools? Yeah, so, so, so we have an internal leading indicator saying that we can see that you can say utilization of the different toolkits. Mm. If it comes to SpendCube or e-sourcing, e-options, are actually increasing. More, more people are using it and they're also logging in more often. So we can see that, that it is actually being becoming more and more of, of, of an actual tool that they're actually using on a, on a daily or weekly basis. How are you finding the market at the moment in terms of talent? Do you find it's easy to find people who can move into these kind of roles, embrace this type of culture? That's probably my challenge number three. That's, that's mm. the whole, you can say, yeah, war for talent. I think some are calling it. And I think in general, we, we have two problems there. Or at least I see it. I think in general, there's a lack of resource. Um, so, so I think that's, that's the first part, right? That, 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 they're not available. And secondly, then we have the lack of competence and capabilities, and that only mm -hmm. makes it, it worse. And I think I just a couple of days ago read a Gartner survey saying that only 14% of procurement leaders mean that they have, uh, you can say, the right talent to meet future needs uh, mm -hmm. in their function. Wow, that's quite damning, isn't it? That's scary. But then the other question was also, so how is it if you look at your current performance requirements? And then it was actually still only 45 or 46 percent that mm. they had the talent that they needed just to deliver today's you can say requirements to the function so I think in general we have an issue of of having the right number of resources but also the capabilities um, and I think that's again where we we really need to embrace the, the whole you can say function uh, professional function of, of procurement I think mm -hmm. it's a cool place to be and I think we need to be able to you can say market it much better internally and also externally. And I think yep. it's it's an area where where we could do more. And and when it comes to the actually needs, I think that's also where we can see that the category manager profession becomes much more interesting and becomes much more strategic. They need to to do much more long-term thinking. They need to embrace, you know agility being able to 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 adapt to rapid changes in, in in condition and environment we are in much more in the past they need to be able to work with risk management we have also done that in the past but now it's 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 much more important right when it comes to geopolitical uh, you can say changes mm -hmm. environmental market volatility you can say we had corona we have uh, we have different wars trade wars and even worse uh, you can say other kind of wars that we have seen popping up here and there. So I think that's another thing where we need to be even more strategic, even more uh, risk management minded and learn more on that. And on top of that, then there comes the whole new thing that is also extremely, I think, motivating, especially for, for, the, for the young people coming in. Sustainability, which is a, mm. a huge area where you as a procurement professional can actually influence a lot if you look at how much we are sitting off of spent 
where we can actually influence how that is actually being, you could say, purchased and produced. So the whole thing of learning also how to to integrate this sustainability into your sourcing strategies and evaluate suppliers. I think that's a very interesting area for for for, for young people also get in there. Another thing, uh, another thing that we need to have that's the whole you can say digital uh, proficiency of being able to analyze and interpret data to drive better sourcing decisions. I think that's also especially also a, a requirement for young people that that the toolkit needs to be there, right? They, they expect that they can come in and actually use some of these uh, new, you can say, technologies that are available. Yeah. And then yeah, the I last mean... part, maybe also when it comes to, to, to future needs or capabilities, that's the whole regulatory compliance. So again, I mean, right now we are seeing them coming in from left to 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 right, you know, on, on the different global compliance standards, mm. labor laws, environmental re- regulations, anti-corruption, uh, all these ethical also sourcing elements uh, is also key to, to be able to master. Yeah, yeah. And procurement sits right at the heart of all of those big strategic decisions. It's an incredibly dynamic place to be, but I guess it's a case of telling that story, isn't it, and, and marketing the function. Exactly. And I think, I mean, that that is for me, I'm always saying that you don't find one functional area that has as broad a reach as a procurement organization. We talk with everyone, right? Because everyone is our, you can say, stakeholders or users. So, so I mean, one day you are sitting discussing, you know, uh, company cars, if, if you are within Indirect. The other day you are discussing consultancy or HR services or whatever, or maintenance. I think it's 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 really cool if if you are interested in in learning a lot of different things also and having this you can say very very broad uh, collaboration both internally but of course then also externally to to the supplier market. Absolutely, within life sciences, you then also get involved with discussions from flow chemistry to large molecule formulations it's a whole a whole nother level exactly and i think the whole life science i mean again when it comes to the whole being you can say also purpose driven and that's again also um, not only the young people but but a lot of us are looking for that so again the whole mm. purpose of, of you know if it's in our case it's you know let's grow a, a better world naturally i mean working with, 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 with biological solutions and, and trying to actually deliver solutions that can help a lot of industries of using less, for example, food and have less food waste or, or whatever it would be. But you can say, I think that's also within the life science. I mean, also helping patients and, and, and there's a lot of good purpose compared to, I think, honestly, other, other industries um, that is also very appealing. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking and uh, happy to uh, talk much more about these elements with the audience. Thanks so much to René for a fascinating interview. For more insights into procurement strategies in life sciences, make sure to sign up at pharmasource.global for your regular dose of insights. Thank you for listening.